Hey everyone, welcome to Handing the Shame Back, a show dedicated to you amazing survivors out there of child sexual abuse. Uh, this show is dedicated to all of you. Uh, you are believed, you are seen, and you are heard. Uh, so it's my pleasure always to bring amazing guests to you, and this week is no exception. So before we start, please do uh, take note of the following. There is a trigger warning, and that is so that if for any reason you feel upset or traumatised or any post-traumatic stress creeps in, please do not continue to watch. Stop watching. Go to the show notes below and you'll be uh, sent to some help and resource. So in the meantime strap in i've got an amazing guest for you his name is frank rogers he's from claremont california he's a survivor he's a teacher he's an author i don't think there's much actually he hasn't done but wait let's find out from him frank welcome hi thank you gloria it's a real honor to be here thank you my pleasure so look as uh, as we go into part one and we hear about your childhood and, and what went on. Um, please know that uh, survivors watching and listening could hear one thing you say and have uh, have sense made of their own stories. So tell us, what was your experience as a child? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and first of all, I just want to thank you for this show and for having these stories um, made available. Uh, what One of the things that was in my own recovery, I know we'll talk about that more later, but was listening to other survivors' accounts that this were validating and and in the midst of the crazy making, you know, that we, we survivors can go through, it really does help. So I'm, I'm extraordinarily grateful for, for this kind of a show. Oh. So yeah, my own journey, um, you know, my, my own journey really starts like maybe for many survivors it's more generation it's generational trauma as well um you know so my mom um uh, when she was uh, five years old um uh, her her mom married her then stepfather uh harold and harold uh, turned out to be uh, quite a predator uh my mom was um uh, the third of four children and um, uh, three of them girls and so he he was uh, sexually abused um, the the three girls from the time my mom was five until she left the house at eighteen. Uh, he actually turned out to be a, a rather, I mean, he was a predator. He he worked at many different jobs and um, um, and uh, raped various people. He was a prison guard for time, raped guards. Um, he was forced a, a wife to sleep with him and. And so one of the inmates uh, put a hit on him through their gang. So he had to flee that town. And and eventually they made their way to rural Oregon off the grid. And um, and uh, so he he's kind of the, the source. He's, he's the, kind of like an ancestral presence of, of trauma in, in our lives. Um, um, you know, the girls in the family responded to very differently. Um, my mom, uh, out of terror of him, um, uh, kind of became more of a, of a placating um, presence to try to save her own little sister and then her stepsister later on, um, but but it kind of warped my mom's understanding of sexuality, and um, so sexuality kind of became a way 
Uh, I mean, she had very polarized feelings about it. On the one hand, you know, uh, detested it, but on the other hand, it was the way she felt close to people. Um, and uh, so I was uh, the firstborn, and and um, was kind of the uh, apple of her eye. And she turned to me for her intimacy needs. Um, she uh, was extraordinarily promiscuous woman. Her and my father both for many years, but. Uh, I was the one that she would come home to at night, and um, and you know, she she was always sexualized. So yeah, from infancy, I am sure we took showers together, we slept naked together. We would she would cut me and um, you know pleasure me, pleasure her. I mean, in, and and it, in her eyes, it was just all a way of being close and and being intimate. Um, she um, and, and and that lasted, you know. For, in, into my childhood, and then it just kind of morphed into this very sexualized intimacy, you know, being around without any clothes on, and, you know, planning big wet ones when I come home from school, and, and you know, as well as all the emotional incestuousness and, and whatnot, and um, she also did not protect us, and so the few times that uh, her father did come over to our house, um, she was more concerned about kind of uh, you know, making, keeping herself safe, I'm sure, but it kind of got lost on her that she had four kids. Um, and so her her stepfather, my, my step-grandfather, Harold, he raped me on two occasions that we were left alone, and then he raped my sister uh, as well. Um, and so, those, so those are the primary forms of abuse. As, as sometimes happens, predators kind of sense vulnerable children. Um, we did have a priest um, when I was uh, uh, seven years old who visited our parish and um, and found me alone in a church um, and um, and then uh, forced me into playing some sex games with him. Um, that was a that was a one time occurrence uh, right there. But um, but the, the living under the legacy of my grandfather and under this incestuous relationship with my mom it was is the the legacy that I've been trying to recover from and. I guess the last thing I'll, I'll say about this is, um, is you know, I, I mean, for me, it just wreaked havoc within me. I mean, I was just, you know, um, I, I suppressed every memory of it. I mean, I locked it all the way until my son was born. And, you know, I had friends and people close to me always kind of suspicious that I was sexually abused in my, my marriage to my first wife. I refused intimacy. I startled every time I was touched. I would have nightmares that I wouldn't talk about. I um, was emotionally unavailable. And she was certain that I was sexually abused. We had a friend who turned out to be sexually abused and said, you have the same wiring as her. And at that time, I was just be enraged if anybody accused me of that. I had so much shame and 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 really repressed so much of it uh, until our son was born. And then my mom started to tried to act towards him the way she acted towards me, wanted to take showers with him, wanted to kiss him all over his body. I erupted with rage. I mean, absolutely erupted. And then set this several years of just tormented by nightmares and flashbacks and hallucinations of what might've happened. And, and I got very self-destructive. I started cutting, my skin had betrayed me. I was suicidal. I tried to commit suicide several times. I ended up being institutionalized. I was just, I, I felt like I was 
demon possessed by rage at sometimes by self-loathing at other times by absolute despair at other times by by weird sexual desires other times and these images of being raped by beasts and and fondled by my mom and all of this just was wreaking havoc so um i tried to kill myself i ended up in a mental institution and and that really launched my my period of recovery for 30 over 30 years um but then just about five years ago, my sister, my little sister, um, uh, at the age of 49, living as a homemaker in rural Redwood country of Northern California, pretty much suppressed everything that had happened to us and to her, um, all of a sudden started getting flashbacks, all of a sudden started getting nightmares, um, was certain everybody was trying to kill her, was terrified, started self-loathing and shame, cutting herself couldn't stand scents, couldn't stand smells, couldn't, wouldn't trust that she could eat anything because it was being poisoned. Was sure beasts were coming in from the outside, breaking into her house, she would cower. She ended up in a mental hospital where she was certain everybody was trying to kill her and violate her. Um, the only person that she trusted in this world was me. So she, her husband called me up and said, hey, you know, your sister, you're not gonna believe what's happening. And uh, uh, this all just happened out of nowhere and so i went up to see her and um and while i was with her i mean she was just not herself we had seen her just six months earlier and she was her old bubbly self but she was emaciated and, and eaten from the inside by the torment of her abuse trauma erupting within her and and um and she asked me you know hey you were like this you know you were in the hospital you were institutionalized you were cutting you were suicidal how did how did you get better and, all I could think to say was, Linda, I got good help and we're going to get you good help. I mean, she was in an institution. I mean, it wasn't a whole lot I could offer her. And and uh, about four weeks later, she ended up taking her life. And and so that um, that really uh, prompted me to take seriously um, recording and sharing how I recovered from abuse. And, and that ended up in the book that I just recently published, which is kind of the book I wished I could have answered to her. It's the story of my my uh, horror and the story of my trauma and the story of my recovery. So, so well, Frank, just, um, well, that's, that's huge. And um, there's, there's so many, so many areas that are going to be so helpful for our amazing survivor family watching hello beautiful ones mm -hmm. so i think you know first up that whole generational thing that that whole kind of expected accepted um grooming if you like starting with words and then touch and and carrying on into all of that within all of that of course was you as a beautiful small child and and here's a question around that because as children do we know what feels okay and we know what doesn't and instinctively i'm just wondering what you were feeling through some of that because i can only imagine it wasn't good what you were feeling yeah well i mean it's it's crazy making right i mean this is my mom and yes. the mom you know, on whom i de depend um who is emotionally starved and and you know has limited capacities for attachment and connection and did not give herself to motherhood in 
in any tangible way. And so, yeah, so a part of me craved the attention, craved, you know, of, you know, being special. And, and, and yet it felt horrible. It felt awful. It felt like this is, you know, it, the word was yucky. You know, I, I didn't even have words, you know, adult words for it. It just felt yucky. And, and like, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't about me and this wasn't really love and it, yet it was under the guise of oh i love you i love you you're my number one you will always be my number one and 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 yet it was like this attention and and the relationship itself just felt soiled and sorted and awful and 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 as a child though you know it's like for me it was you know well something must be wrong with me i mean it's like you know this is my mom this is an adult you know this is a person i need to depend upon to, to stay connected to just to survive i mean and so so there must be something wrong with me that you know that i brought this on or i made this happen or i'm asking for this or i'm encouraging this or i'm getting pleasure out of this myself and and so just the soiled shame feeling that i mean just in your in my tissues in my dna it's like i am i'm just damaged goods i i am soiled into my bones as as untouchable that there's just something awful awful about me and and for me that was one of the biggest challenges to overcome is just the the sordid shame that i that i embodied and and I'm I'm so glad that you said that because there's gonna be survivors watching who still have aspects of that today, and this is why this is called handing the shame back. Because mm -hmm. as we speak, we release even more and we hand it back to the abusers. Now, whether they're a mum that you loved or a grandfather that that you feared, the shame never belonged to us as innocent, beautiful children. And you know that. Um, all of those feelings you you see as a small child, Frank, you had no power, you had no say, you had no autonomy. Cognitively, there would have been a huge disparity between what was happening and what could be understood. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But when yeah. you think about all of that, you see, the twist in it is that you needed mum, a mother, because she was the caregiver. Mm -hmm. She was the person that was responsible for feeding, clothing, keeping you alive. Exactly. No way could you afford to turn her bad. So what we do as kids is we turn ourselves bad because that's much easier and we can handle that. What do you think? Yeah. And that's exactly right. That's exactly what happened uh, with me, right? And and you know, and and mom, you know, I mean, that's the womb that we came out of the world into, you know. And I mean, it's the it's the foundation of of love and care and and what we need to be able to survive and how we're alive in in the first place. And and so, yeah, to have you know, mom. Um, be the source of of shame and and yuckiness and and and, and crazy making confusion and and all of that i mean there was no way i could say well well it's it's the fabric of the universe that must be wrong it's it's you know it's, i can't say it's the womb of life that's wrong it's got to be me i mean there's obviously something is wrong with me and of course uh, so the impact on you uh you know as you think about your childhood and in a, and adolescence even into early adulthood 
what would a statement be is what's wrong with me or um I must be really bad or what what kind of self-talk was around for you um you are disgusting I would say to myself you are you are slime you are excrement you are excrement of this earth you know and and I also grew up in a religious tradition a, a Catholic tradition that also told me that I was sinful to my bones and you know original sin that needed to be purged and and all of that and so yeah so I mean it was a double whammy I mean it was just I went into the world you know, into, into my adulthood, just feeling excremental that, that, that I was, you know, that, that, that I was just, it was, it was shit seared into my, into my DNA that made me untouchable, unlovable, unworthy in, in every way. And, and then, you know, I, I start, you know, trying to, okay, where, how do I, how do I get some, some emotional regulation in the midst of this or some sanity or some healing and, and all of these images of, flashbacks and and feelings towards the rages towards my mom and nightmares of torturing her and nightmares of being sodomized and and all of this that only made it worse that made it, oh my god you really are twisted i would say i mean you are disgusting how could you possibly you know accuse your mom of this kind of thing how could you possibly let these kind of sordid images into your head who what kind of a person would have nightmares like this you are absolutely soiled to the bone um that that was you know that that, that self-loathing it, it it's like a demon it can grab you hold of you and and it's lethal it is lethal you do not deserve anything good in this world and yet you know frank i can only imagine that you know as as for all amazing survivors you're the most beautiful shiny wonderful sparkling soul yeah and and I think sometimes that whole, you know, we we can see it in in others, but you know, for me, when I think of you as a beautiful child, and and just that that stunning soul and that that beautiful innocence, and I just think, wow, what an amazing small wee boy. And so it's it's just such an honor to have you with us today. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Gloria. I appreciate that. And and that resonates deeply. I mean, um, you know, I, I work with survivors now and, and and I lead spiritual retreats and and I, I believe like you do that that spark of the soul, that beautiful soul is in every single person and yes. and it's enduring and no amount of abuse, no amount of shame, no amount of horror can can take that that pilot light out of us. And and that's something that, you know, we as survivors can hold on to. I mean, even as as hard as our journeys are and the nights of of, of nightmare and, and self-loathing, there is some spark of beauty inside of you that is enduring, absolutely, and is beautiful and can be accessed and, and allowed to shine once more in our lives. I, I absolutely believe that. You know, and and you know, I'm just thinking you you really did have the triumvirate, excuse my my humor. We have to laugh, don't we? But you really did. You had your mother through most of your childhood and adolescence doing this to you, abusing you. You had your grandfather who was always going to be 
a situational abuser or take what he could when he could. And then, of course, you had the priest. So imagine it's a Catholic priest, yeah? Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, right. Naturally. Um, and so, you know, there you go. And, of course, by the age of seven, you, you were well-conditioned. You were well-conditioned to not just almost expect but accept and go along with whatever was expected. So I guess, Frank, for you, did you have around you, you know, what, what you know, you, you talk about the self-loathing and you talk about the the terrible view you had of yourself, which I understand, but which is quite wrong, I'm delighted to say. <laughs> You're wrong. You're okay. amazing. You're amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I think, you know, for all of us as survivors, your whole um, kind of persona and who was around you at the time, clearly you had siblings, were there any safe adults at all or were there any adults who weren't abusive that you felt comfortable with? Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, I had a, a youth minister in high school that was that kind of a safe presence. Um, absolutely. Um, um, he, you know, and, and he was an extraordinary influence on my life. I mean, he saw gifts in me. Um, he, uh, you know, when my when my parents divorced and they tried to bring me to court to testify, you know, uh, against uh, you know, my dad wanted me to testify against my mom and the judge scolded him. You don't bring a, a 14 year old into the middle of a divorce proceeding like this. It was my youth minister who who stopped and came and showed up at the court and said, hey, I'm taking him away from here. And, you know, went walking along the ocean and just kind of got got stabilized. Um, uh, he saw gifts in me. Um, he was someone I could talk to, uh, to the point where when it was time for me to go to college, I said, I want to be like him when I grow up. And uh, he, he had gone to a, a small college in Indiana. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, he even uh, paid for a, a plane ticket out there to visit the school to see if it'd be a place I'd like to go to. And I ended up going there. And and um, he, he was an enormously, enormously helpful. Um, safe presence, helped me believe in myself, but also... Well, kind of like what you just saying a few minutes ago, saw me in a way I wasn't seeing myself. I could see gifts and qualities and beauties that I had no lens to be able to see in myself. And and over time, you begin to trust that. I mean, he seems to mean it, you know, and wow, that's pretty, pretty amazing. And, and you know, I'm so thrilled that you had him and how how wonderful that you did um you know and and full credit to to that man you know it's interesting the only um the only person that couldn't see who you were was you and that was hidden from you so we're going to leave part one there but stay right there because uh we will be coming back survivors with part two and and, you know, Frank's already shared some some really powerful things today. And I think just the fact that, you know, the whole conditioning and the grooming and the tacit acceptance of, of the sexual abuse, um, you know, was just going to weave a web throughout his whole, whole childhood. He, he stood no chance. And then, of course, we have the priest step in, and uh, no one's, no irony is lost there. 
you know, he talked about the fact that um, clearly at times he craved the attention. Well, guess what? You know, as survivors, we're all human. And sometimes if kindness uh, is the only way it, through a sexualized form that we get that, then that is what that is. And, and again, it's not on us to hold on to that as shame. It's we're handing it back today. So stay where you are, Frank. We're closing out with our audience. Audience, as always, I see you. I stand beside you. And I believe you. Mm -hmm.